Talking Pandemics is an initiative to give a voice to young professionals and researchers on their view of the current pandemic, helping to educate the global audience to think about the pandemic more logically and analytically. Remember to subscribe to receive our episode alert and share the episode so more people can be updated on the current pandemic. Welcome. Hello everyone, welcome to the special episode of Talking Pandemic podcast, which is named the Viral Vectors and the Future of Vaccine Development. Uh, it's with absolute pleasure that I welcome my guest today. He did his PhD in clinical medicine from the University of Oxford. Uh, during his PhD studies, he, he contributed to the development of uh, CHEDOC viral vectors, uh, which are currently being used to produce Oxford vaccines. He did his bachelor's from ITESM campus Monterrey in Mexico. He did his master's at the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia in biosciences. And it's an absolute honor and pleasure to welcome him to the show. Eric. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Okay, so first of all, I would like to tell the listeners about the phases. So there are two phases in, of this interview. First would be about the current pandemic and about the viral vector vaccines. And the second would be more general and more futuristic in terms of vaccine development. We start the first phase of the questions. And the first question is, what are viral vectors? Okay, viral vectors are viruses that cannot replicate or have limited replication capacity in the cells. And these uh, vaccines platforms um, have been widely extensively studied. And not only for vaccines, also for gene therapy and other, um, other approaches, but just in general, vital vectors are used to deliver genetic material, foreign genetic material. In the case of infectious diseases, these vital vectors are engineered to deliver infectious diseases related antigens. Um, Chadox, for example, Chadox 1, mm -hmm. which is an adenovirus vector, it has been engineered to deliver this protein called, called S like a protein from the SARS COVID. COVID, COVID two mm -hmm. from COVID. Mm -hmm. So this is so so just in general, it's a vital vector that delivers an antigen. Let's say for vaccinology purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, you just said vectors are usually viral vectors are usually viruses with limited capacity to replicate. Yeah. Can you tell us how this capacity is limited? Th that's a very good question. So. Um, so these viruses might come from another species, let's say from very not related to humans um, viruses. So therefore, when you inject them, and because we don't have, we don't provide the genetic or protein elements 
to sustain the viral replication. So they are not allowed to replicate in the human body. Mm -hmm. There are also other approaches such as taking out um, specific genes. In case of Chadox-1, the element is called uh, E1. So this element is taken out from the genome of the viruses. Therefore, the viruses cannot replicate in the body. And this is a very, very uh, important safety measure because, you know, viruses that can replicate for a long time or steadily might have a different uh, safety um, concerns. They might provide safety concerns. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. viruses that cannot replicate, such as Chadox, let's say, for example, mm -hmm. it's a very mm -hmm. safety thing to do. That is why these vaccines are being developed for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. As you said, some of them comes from animals. But how do you screen and select viral vectors before you limit their capacity to replicate? That's a very, very good question. <laughs> um, I think it's just, vaccinology, in my, in my perspective, is a very pragmatic approach. So what people do is just to use different serotypes that somebody isolated a long time ago and they injected into organisms and then what you can do is just to uh, measure the level of immunogenicity, right? So you might you might figure it out, you might discover that this other virus is more immunogenic than this other one. And it doesn't matter, we don't know why, it just matters that, you know, at the end, which one is more immunogenic. Um, of course, the, the, in, there must be a safety measures, you know, you cannot put, Ebola as a vital vector because you know it's, it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. But just in terms, for example, of adeno adenovirus, adenovirus, um, the ones that are being used for vaccination are very, very mild. You know, you won't die from it. Uh, they they just cause cause some of them common cold. And also, you take out, as I mentioned, these elements for replication. So the safety measures are very very high for this technology. Um, there are some companies right now developing some vital vectors based on chimpanzee adenovirus. The approach of Oxford is using a kind of a chimeric adenovirus with elements from chimpanzee and from human adenovirus for certain mm -hmm. strategy purposes. This is mm -hmm. one approach. There are others which are using chimpanzee adenoviruses. There, there, is, there are another ones that are using human adenoviruses, some of them human adenoviruses that we haven't been exposed. So that's good for some strategies regarding this development. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we check the safety of these vectors preclinically. How do we check their safety in terms of experiments? So, so how, how do you uh, measure safety uh, yes. safety in animals? Yeah. You, you, okay. So, so just taking into consideration that these vital vectors have been long time studied, they're known to be safe. When you want to create, let's say, a new vaccine with these vaccines, with these vaccine platforms, with these vital vectors, mm -hmm. 
so the viral vectors is already very studied and very safe thing, you know? There is nothing new that will come out, for example, for example, when they started to apply this technology for COVID-19, because they were already very characterized. So what they do is just to change the antigen that the virus will encode. So mm -hmm. they you just change the antigen for, in this case, the S-glycoprotein, which the majority of the researchers are using for COVID. And you just inject it in mice, uh, most likely small mice, such as rats, uh, mice, um, guinea pigs. This is also a different, very deep topic because at the end of the day, what you will want to know in the animals at the beginning of the development of vaccines is one, if it's safe, I already said it's safe because of the vaccine platform, but the antigen might contain different prop properties, you don't know. Um, the other one will be that it's highly immunogenic, meaning that it will produce antibodies, high levels of antibodies or T cell responses, or another feature that you are looking for, for this specific infectious disease. The, the third one I will say is protection. At the end of the day, what you want from the vaccine is to protect against the virus, against the infectious disease. And this is something that you can know until a certain, in a certain level with animal work. After you um, get to know this and you're happy with the results, you move on to bigger animals such as non-human primates. And this is also another very deep, uh, might be complex topic in the sense that um, you have to know the endpoints, let's say, um, how this virus, how are you going to perform these experiments? With kind of endpoints, which kind of results you will want from these experiments? Do the vaccine protect against the virus with these non-human primates? Mm -hmm. Is the non-human primates that you're working with valid for this research? Which concentration of the vaccine are you going to inject, which is the root of vaccination? Which is the thing that you will measure from these animals in order to, to, to know if the vaccine works? Uh, do the vaccine will prevent infection, virus replication, or the manifestation of disease in the, these non-human primates? And let's not forget that these, these experiments are very expensive. So you want to make things right. But coming to the last topic, how, how do you study if the virus is not replicative in an animal? Oh, that's, that's something that you can do in vitro, for example. Um, one of the things that you can do techniques is just to, you have your vital vector, your dose, your vaccine, and you can expose it to cells growing on a plate. And if you do that, the virus won't form plagues, for example. Mm -hmm. Plagues are this um, visual, so, uh, visual circle things that you can get from your Petri dish, meaning that the virus is replicating, is damaging the cells surrounding it. So if you see that, that's because the virus is replicating. It has the capacity to infect cells mm -hmm. by replicating itself. So what you try to find with vital vectors, non-replicating ones, is that they don't do that. So yeah, 
in, in, in animals, you can also do that. For example, actually, I don't know how they do it in animals. Sorry. That would be like a very interesting thing to know for me. Mm -hmm. um, I think what they do, what I, I know they do, for example, is so these vital vectors have the capacity to express a certain protein. So this protein um, by, by, is, is the antigen in the vaccine, but you might change it for a marker, let's say uh, GFP, which is like a very protein that you can measure the activity, the fluorescence uh -huh. of this protein. Mm -hmm. So you, you inject it into mice and you will reach a peak of fluorescence for, from the animals. But that peak have to diminish eventually because the virus cannot replicate. The virus can no longer be producing more viruses that subsequently will produce more fluorescence by the GFP. So that's a way that I would think that you can do it. But as I say, these vital vectors and their capacity to replicate have been described for a long, long time. And you just change the antigen, so there's no not an issue with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, for the next question, you told about the Chedox vector that it is a, a chimeric form of, I think, human and chimpanzee adenoviruses. Can you tell us uh, more in detail about it? So Chedox one, it's um, so, so it's a vaccine platform based on adenovirus, chimpanzee adenovirus. Y25, and, and then it was engineered with including elements from the adenovirus type 5. This adenovirus type 5, it's a human adenovirus. It's a very potent, very good human adenovirus for vaccination purposes. Mm -hmm. The problem with ADU5, as, as we call it, adenovirus human 5, is that the majority of the people might have pre-existing anti-vector immunity. Mm -hmm. What is that? Is that humans, we might have been exposed before against this adenovirus. Therefore, when you get vaccinated with this adenovirus, it won't work because you have antibodies against the vector, mm -hmm. not against the antigen, but the, against the vector. Mm -hmm. So the virus won't be able to get inside your cells to produce the antigen mm -hmm. and therefore to induce an immunogenicity and protection against um, COVID-19 mm -hmm. or SARS-CoV-2. So what they very intelligently they did is to include these elements from ADU5 because this ADU5 is very rapid to produce in a high scale level. Mm -hmm. But this other as chimpanzee adenovirus, adeno, chimpanzee adenovirus, it has, it most likely you won't have pre-existing anti-vector immunity. Mm -hmm. But it might be a very good one, very good immunogenicity. It has very good immunogenicity, not as much as at U5, perhaps. So what they do is to combine both proper properties in one vital vector called Chadox one So you have a vital vector that, one, you won't have issues with pre-existing anti-vector immunity. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the vaccine might work but you include elements from ADU5 in for producing a very in high titers during the production level. So you have all these two properties, these property from properties from these two different vital vectors. Okay, so two properties as in from chimpanzee adenovirus, you won't have pre-existing 
exactly. And from 85? You include elements. Um, I think they included E4, is the genetic element E4. And so that will make the virus to grow faster during, for uh -huh. producing it. Yeah. So with vital vectors, there is an issue that some vital vectors such as U5 is very good, is very potent, but they have this issue of persisting immunity, as, as I mentioned. So, but you still, I think CanSino, the company is, is testing it at U5, but they also commented that, you know, the effectiveness of the vaccine might be lower than expected for this persisting immunity. So what Oxford, and then you have other this, this other approach of using viruses that most likely we were not exposed before vaccination. Therefore, we won't have persisting immunity. Mm -hmm. That's why they might work better. But these other ones might not be very potent as ADU5. So what you Oxford did is to combine these elements, you know, of okay. these different vital vectors. So at the end, you have a vital vector that most likely we were not exposed, but with because of these elements of ADU5, you're very likely to produce in high titers this vital vector. Mm -hmm. And uh, AD5 uh, generally causes respiratory, I mean, is it in the respiratory tract? Yeah, some of these viruses are, uh, you know, respiratory viruses. Adenovirus, they're very, very diverse. You know, they might cause diarrhea diseases, some of the serotypes. They cause diarrhea, some others cause like other, other, other diseases. But the ones that are being used at U5 is common cold. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I'm sure it would have been a very interesting project to work on. Uh, but while you were working on it, what did you thought would be the scope of the project? What was your motivation? Oh, my motivation. Um, so I was also always interested in viruses. I really like viruses for some reason. I think they're very interesting. With my master's, when I was studying my master's, um, doing this discovering of viruses from the largest animal mass gathering in the world, it was a very good project for me. I loved it. It was viruses. It was something that I was pursuing. But then, because I was, I had also a bachelor's in engineering, and I wanted to be more actively kind of like a change in modify the virus. And also because I have this kind of like a profile in clinical research, I wanted to use viruses for medical purposes. So that was my goal when I, I, I entered to Oxford trying to to use viruses for good purposes you know like for even therapeutic uh, gene therapy vaccinology and Oxford opened the doors for me to to it's a very difficult projects you know you cannot do it in any part of the world you're not um it's not even common viruses for i, I mean like in general purposes compared to other fields so for me uh, that Oxford opens the door for me and to be able to use viruses for good purposes, for medical purposes, I, I really loved it. So I was pursuing with this, um, you know, at the end of the day, you want to create a vaccine that is effective. And I was working with COVID-19, sorry, with coronavirus, but also I was working with other global infectious diseases that are very important, like, in this case, I was working with malaria also, trying to establish vital vectors 
um, as vaccines and effective vaccines and uh, for for coronavirus and malaria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So for the next question, there are a lot of projects running around related to the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, what are some other uh, projects which you find very interesting apart from the Chadox vaccine? Apart from Chadox vaccines and viral vectors, um, such as Sputnik V or the ones in Janssen um, mm -hmm. being developed by Janssen, Cancino, which are working on, uh, which are working for viral vectors, mm -hmm. I think other vaccine platforms might be very very interested. I'm, I'm kind of like I think I don't want to cheer one specifically, uh, but what comes to my mind I think will be synthetic peptide vaccines. That's because they are very um, easy to produce. They are very kind of um, malleable, very safe to produce, very easy, scalable to produce, very stable mm -hmm. um, type of vaccines with the antigens such as the S-lycoprotein that people are using a lot for COVID-19, you might want not to include all the protein, but just specific parts of the protein that will induce a very high immunogenicity, which are called peptides. So these peptides are very short um, protein sections that you can include in a vaccine and might be might have the same effect as including a whole protein. And I think synthetic ones, you can produce it by just chemical approaches. You know, you don't need to include in the production process microorganisms or viruses, viruses, microorganisms or something like that. So that's very safe, you know, extremely safe to produce. And these reactions are very, very fast. So you are able to produce a very high quantity of vaccines, doses, in a very, a very short amount of time. The only thing with this uh, type of technology is that you have to have adjuvants, you know, these chemical elements, these chemical compounds. And this, the effectiveness of these type of vaccines might be very dependent of these chemicals. And these chemicals might be owned by very specific companies. So you have to make some specific agreements with them. And, uh, you know, this adjuvant development field is very, very interesting. You might have a career only with developing one specific adjuvant, which has very simple compound, very simple substances, but they have this incredible capacity to make vaccines work, work better. So if you ask me, that would be synthetic vaccines, synthetic peptide vaccines. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about the RNA vaccines? RNA vaccines, I think, you know, um, personally, I didn't know about them before the pandemic. <laughs> uh, I want to be honest. I think they, they are very, right now for COVID, they're very, very, you know, people have a lot of faith in these vaccines. And this is something that people still need to figure it out or how to see how they perform. But I think it's a very, very interesting approach and there is a lot of companies interested and uh, let's see how it goes with these vaccines. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so coming to the last question of this phase, I wanted to ask you about your master's thesis project because I thought it was very interesting. Or where did you do it and what was the project? 
So in 2012, I was here in Mexico and I heard about this world-class university in Saudi Arabia. So they have this project, uh, I think it was supported by the King Abdullah that passed away um, recently, that he wanted to gather very bright minds from all over the world, you know, researchers, and to gather them in this very high-tech university at, at next to the Red Sea to solve one of the major issues of the world through science and technology. So the idea was to gather these brilliant minds from all over the world to concentrate in this campus with very, very refined uh, state-to-the-art technology because they have also a lot of money. So that, that was helping a lot to the technology development and science. So I was uh, selected. It was a very hard process of selection because it's worldwide selected. And they, they pay you, they provide your college fees, your housing, you have a living allowance. It's a very, very interesting scheme for making universities. The, when I was there, the president was the president, previous president of Caltech University. We have even oh. Nobel Prize winners and everything very, you know, like a community-wise thing. Mm -hmm. I was selected uh, there, it wasn't easy. And immediately I wanted to do, I, one of the reasons I went there, it was because of the virus studies that I could produce. They have this project called the Hash Project. The university is one hour away from Mecca, which is a holy place for Muslim people. So all the people around the world, at least one time in their lives, have to go to Mecca as a mm -hmm. part of a religious activity. And this, this celebration dates back to, you know, centuries, even millennia, um, um, thousands of years ago, I think more than 1,000 years ago. And the interesting thing from the scientific point of view is that these people come from everywhere in the world. So they might bring infectious diseases with them that the public health of the country cannot take into account because there are so many infectious diseases that you cannot account for. And it's, we have the opportunity, one of the few opportunities to, to make this very extensive study from different years trying to discover, in my case, viruses, but I was working with other people trying to target uh, parasites and bacteria. So the idea is to try first to describe as much as we could which infectious diseases people going to this gathering have and might infect each other. And the second stage was to discover new strains. You might discover a new serotype, a new type, genotype, of virus, a new strain of bacteria that nobody has heard before because nobody has done, gone to this remote place in this part of the world to, to identify that, that infectious disease. So the infectious diseases was coming to us to this celebration. I was working with viruses. I was in charge of describing these viruses. Um, it was a very exciting because even though I love viruses and I, we were working directly with the Minister of Health 
of Saudi Arabia who was in charge of the public health logistic of this celebration is two and a half millions of people every year. So imagine the logistics, the, the level of the number of infectious diseases is very known that you will get sick if you go to this celebration. It's a very, very interesting project. And personally, it was very enriching because I was learning about viruses. Um, it was very challenging because I didn't have previous experience with viruses. And it was learning at the same time I had to produce results, you know, because this is something that it might in the future future shape the public health measures of this celebration, mm -hmm. this world-class celebration. So uh, what I gather is it's like a sampling from all over the world. Exactly. And it's, it's sorry, um, sorry, I get excited and I tend to interrupt. <laughs> when you have mass gatherings, you have outbreaks, most likely, you know, depending on the place, depending on certain other factors. With these diseases, what it was very, very interesting is each one of the samples that we had for more than 600 people, each one had a different infectious disease. So, and this is something 600 people might be very limited compared to two and a half millions of people, but to have in a very relatively small number of samples to have this diverse range of infectious diseases as you say it is something like you're collecting a sample of the world let's say yeah so this 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 research was it was a lot of hard work i i really really thank my previous supervisors uh you know arna Payne, uh who was the the head of the lab and also mata sabdelgani uh who are very very active people and without them these projects are very difficult to do, but you know, when you have very hardworking, ambitious people in a positive way, and it was published a very in a very high-ranked paper, uh, sorry, journal, and um, it, it helped me actually to get into Oxford as well. They were very, very interested in this project, and it helped it, helped me a lot in my career. In some sort of way, where we were pioneers. As, as they claim as, as the university, perhaps very, very um, in the right way, uh, named us pioneers of discovering these strains from the world, from this large, from the largest mass gathering in the world. This is a research that is very difficult to do and we have the opportunity to do it. You know, I know people from the US, from Europe, from Asia, from everywhere in the world they will wish to be involved in this type of projects. But I think we were a little bit lucky, you know, to be in this project. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been, it sounds for me like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Sure, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it and the knowledge that you can get is just amazing. I think one of the things that is lacking in vaccinology, when you develop vaccines, you only take account one strain of the virus. But you don't know if the virus, if that specific protein might change or not, might mutate. There might be another strains with different proteins or far um, not very similar proteins. And this is something that is being talked in vaccinology, but still we perhaps we don't even know how to how to translate that knowledge into vaccines. How do you make a vaccine for all these trains that might be surrounding, circulating the world. It's a very difficult to, thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So this is the end of phase one.
थैंक यू सो मच hope you enjoyed this episode join us next friday as we continue the phase 2 of the discussion join us again next episode and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the different platforms spotify apple podcast and google podcast so you never miss an episode plus to continue enjoying our discussion more in detail you can visit us in our patreon at patreon.com slash talkingpandemic, where you can access to exclusive content. Check it out. Links are in the description below. And remember to stay tuned, stay safe, be strong, and be curious. <laughs>